Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Threads of Life podcast, Embracing Family Life and Neurodiversity. This is my 21st episode, so I can't quite believe it. I've recorded 20 episodes, mind-boggling. And thank you, thank you so much for all of your listens. Thank you for telling your friends and family about it and sharing it and following the podcast. I'm absolutely loving recording it, and there will clearly be no end to the number of episodes I can do bleating on about autism, ADHD, non-speaking autism, neurodiversity, and and my life, basically. <laughs> so right, today's episode is titled In the Home, 24 Hours at a Time. Right off the bat, I'm going to say that this is not an episode on bad parenting. If you are a parent to an autistic and or ADHD and or neurodiverse child, you already feel like a bad parent and you probably spend a good portion of your day or interrupted sleep at night trying to figure out why you're getting it wrong or why it's so difficult to get your child to do what others can so smoothly, feeling like it's all your fault and you should be doing more and that you should be coping better. On top of that, Schools, the entire system, and most professionals whose advice and or therapy you seek for your child is inadvertently telling you it's all on you and you should be doing XYZ better or differently. And very much so, I'm afraid, feeling as though the assumption from others is that it is all down to your parenting and that yours is clearly bad. <laughs> So, yeah, we're, we're pretty overloaded with all of that. Um, and of course, if you do come across those absolute gems once in a while, gem of a teacher or a therapist or a social worker or a professional who actually absolutely does know it and absolutely gets it and or who preferably lives it, they are being paid. <laughs> they get to spend that hour or those hours at school with your child and then they send them home for the next 12 to 16 hours to be with you, the parent. There is no professional or teacher who is really there for you, you know. Sure, there are counsellors and CBT specialists and again, not necessarily people who can fully relate to your life because they don't live it. And again, they love and leave you after an hour, often with homework to do on yourself. <laughs> am, I, am I the only one who feels that all we really need out of this system of all these professionals and all their different categories and budget areas is someone who can come into our home and observe, make no judgments, look at the relationship between the parent and the child, the connection that they have, the family dynamic, the impact of siblings, and give us practical day-to-day -day advice and support on how to get through 24 hours at a time just a little bit better. We want that person to just be there for us, to believe us as parents. Believe what we are telling them when we say our child goes from literally naught to a hundred in under one second sometimes. Believe and come and witness what that scenario looks like and how hurtful and emotional and damaging it can be for both parents and child and what that loss of control can feel like. Um, 
believe us when we talk about how bad their their evenings can be. We want them to come in at 7 a.m. and watch what getting ready for school can be like in a household where there's maybe perhaps siblings involved as well. Everybody's under time pressure. Everybody knows that waking up, getting dressed for school, brushing your teeth, having breakfast and getting in the car is is a fairly kind of time-limited, kind of high-octane experience every single morning for most families and and that's with neurotypical children yes it can be a you know smoother and whatever for for some but generally it's pretty rushed <laughs> we want them to come and observe what it is like to actually get that child dressed and have their face washed what that can involve for us the stress and the strain and the exhaustion and the extra support that is required even for you know upwards of 8 year olds we want them to be back here at three o'clock in the afternoon when that child comes home from school. And the things that happen that are so deeply concerning to parents, whether it is complete meltdown because they have been masking and using every ounce of energy they have to cope with their school day that just literally implodes the moment they get home because this is their safe space that a parent then has to witness and go to bed thinking about and it's not just happening once it's typically happening every school day and even if the opposite is happening it is just as concerning for parents who have a child who comes in locks themselves in their bedrooms turns all the lights off climbs under 15 blankets and literally rocks and hums themselves for a few you know with themselves for a few hours it's deeply deeply concerning we want people to believe us and to believe what is actually going on I miraculously did have someone like this turn up to my house once. I don't even know how it happened, but Stuart Stannard, if you ever listen to this, I will never forget your name for as long as I live. You changed our worlds. Honestly, as usual, the difficulty with parents is I don't even, you have to start with a flipping GP, you know, who you hopefully, I don't know how you have to word it, but you have to make it serious for them to then refer to CAMS in these days. Goodness knows how long you have to wait before that person actually shows up. And I think this guy turned up from NELFT, if you're here in Kent in the UK. I don't even know what NELFT stands for, but anyway, Stuart arrived. Oh my, you know, at that stage we had spent four to six months without being able to get Henry into our family car. My husband was working abroad Monday to Friday. I had two kind of tweens. Uh, it was really, really tri tricky. No one was believing me. What do you mean you can't get him into the car? And Stuart just came in and observed he didn't speak. He didn't tell me what I should or shouldn't be doing. He just watched and observed and believed and it was like looking out outside the box, you know, somebody with that completely um, unbiased opinion. And he just saw what was going on. He saw this connection I had with Henry. He noticed that Henry was um, taking a lot of his instruction from visual objects rather than my spoken word, which in hindsight makes perfect sense. I mean, he is a non-speaking child, but I didn't see that in the moment. Uh, he just highlighted things about transitions and how many there there were that were going on. I didn't know that there were that upstairs to downstairs was a transition and how difficult that could be. And to just, you know, giving me one, I felt like finally somebody actually can see it and believe it and know what I'm going through. And B, you know, that sort of um permission to let let the rules go and go, well, 
if you're saying his whole kind of regulation system goes on how full his tummy is and when it drops below half full, how disastrous that can be for his ability to regulate himself, will clearly wake up and get that breakfast in him in his pajamas however you can. Bring the uniform downstairs, let him get dressed in, in the lounge so that you save a transition all the way back upstairs to get dressed again. I was like, oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah, just it's just that kind of thing, you know. I, I, I don't think I'm alone in this. <laughs> we don't need, oh, I'm going to have a real rant here, which is what I didn't really plan, but social workers for one, if you if you are one of those parents who thinks you know this this that that system and social workers are for families that are are really in need and you know we're we're a family of moderate to okay means and and we shouldn't be relying on this or needing this kind of help etc. Seriously, you need to adjust that because that's exactly what we did. I had a totally different other kind of um, picture in my mind of what social worker meant and. I didn't use them and it came to fighting through a tribunal for a highly specialist school that our non-speaking child needed and of course that box hadn't been ticked so therefore he couldn't possibly on paper even present the need for this type of school. It is absolutely insane, it really is. And okay, fair enough, get the social worker tick the box. All families out there here in the UK will know that that process is diabolical to get a good one. And no offense to social workers. I know you're all doing the very best you can. But the staff turnover and the reorganizations and the shuffling around, you know, gives our children no consistency whatsoever. And you are lumping these social workers and their training and all the forms and the boxes they have to tick with every other kind of social work you do in the community. And I'm sorry but dealing with families of autistic and or ADHD and or neurodiverse children has to be something completely separate. You can still call them a social worker, but they will require very different training and experience and different forms and box ticking because it is not the same thing. Going around to a family who you've heard has, have, has a child who is going around to a family who on paper have a child who is trashing up their room and self-harming is not the same thing as going to the home of a family of an autistic or neurodiverse child who is displaying self-injurious behavior and actions to, you know, perhaps affect the furniture in their room. They are very, very, very different things. They cannot be treated the same way. I mean, who should I send this to? <laughs> who will read it? Who will listen? Who will do anything about it? I don't know. I will pause to pop in here kind of midway through this episode to say that my newsletter is now available to sign up to on my webpage. It is a monthly newsletter and it would be amazing if you would like to sign up to it. The website is thethreadsoflife.co.uk and if you're in the search engine, just type website afterwards and it should hopefully come up on the first page rather than having to kind of scroll through a few pages of Google to find me. <laughs> so for those of you who are perhaps friends or relatives of and don't actually live the autism or neurodiverse journey with your own children, 
and you are wondering what it is actually like to get through those 24 hours a day, or how I often have my friends refer to it as how bad is it? (laughs) Um, Or you're wondering why it is that you find your friends so stressed out all the time. Here's a little taster. I'm going to run through 24 hours. It'll be very surface level. It'll be very brief, brief. And obviously it is not the same for all of us. But I think it's kind of important to give people an idea of what it is actually like. And and perhaps that will help them adjust and think about how they can actually help. You know, I know everybody wants to help, but it is much easier said than done when you are dealing with a daughter, a sister, a friend, a neighbor who is trying her best to parent a neurodiverse child. Another off the bat here is that this is definitely not going to be a description of how difficult or bad our autistic and or ADHD neurodiverse children are. Their brains are wired differently. It's a fact. Their sensory systems are beyond anything we could ever comprehend. That's another fact. They are constantly going offline and affecting everything that that child does, how they move their body, how they control their actions and their voices. Anyone engaging with our children is having to compete with internal and external sensory stimuli that we are not even fully aware of, that we cannot appreciate because we don't experience it to the level that they do, and that they themselves are working so unbelievably hard to control. You cannot see it. It is in the background. It is invisible. And all they are getting from those around them is the assumption that they are not trying, that they are stubborn, that they are uncompromising, that they are attention-seeking, that they are exaggerating, that they are lazy, that they are unmotivated, that they are selfish. And believe me, they know that these assumptions are being made. You, You will be gobsmacked at how verbal some of this can be placed to them as well. Literally told these things. Nothing, nothing could be further from the truth for the vast majority of them because their brains work differently and because we as their parents are responsible for preparing them for a life in this world with all of its rules and expectations and social norms not ideally suited to the way their brains work it absolutely does genuinely become a daily challenge for both the child and the parent no matter what age I want you to think as well very quickly before I start this little reel of a 24-hour cycle. Just say to yourself and think about this, it is can't, not won't. I've mentioned this in another episode before. It is a little flag to you all as well because very soon I will be dropping an episode with a wonderful guest, Tracy, who taught me this little phrase. It's something I think about often, particularly with my 20-year-old son, and his recent ADHD diagnosis, and I have to remind myself of it often. (laughs) You know, while I'm here, if, if, if if you're one of those parents who's like trying your best to get your head around who your child is and how best to manage this ADHD or this autism and what words to use and how to be less demanding and, you know, you're putting in all that effort and 
and and whilst you can appreciate how their brains are working and and that they kind of it's really difficult that they actually it's not that they won't get out of bed or they won't engage in what they even the things they like doing or are motivated by it's just that they can't you can believe it but sometimes five days down the line when you are doing everything you can and speaking in your best most buttery voice and going way beyond normal levels that you would for a regular 20 year old and then your mood kicks in and you and you just kind of like obviously I'm this is me I'm talking about (laughs) And you just go absolutely nuts and you ruin the whole lot by bleating out all these neurotypical things as a parent and literally saying to them, I'm so fed up. I'm trying my best. I'm trying to figure you out. I feel like I'm the one doing all the work. I'm trying to understand your medications and how they impact you. And I'm trying to help you and help you set alarms and get a routine. And you're not meeting me halfway. You're doing nothing. Uh, 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 And you slip right back down. Yeah. Yeah, if that's you, yeah, welcome. Welcome to the club. <laughs> We're all human. Oh, gosh. Okay. So, right, here we go. Uh, let's just think about, you know, I just want you to kind of think of what waking up to this is like every day. Okay, so it is whether there's there's often, obviously, more than one child in the family, and this is now about that autistic ADHD neurodiverse child and it is literally from the moment they open their eyes it is the actual waking up many of them have to be woken up because they have struggled so much with sleep the night prior and fair enough I mean in my case my son if you wake him up from dead sleep he he's amazing he just gets up like a little robot it's it's just incredible the the 20 year old ADHD on the other hand (laughs) no chance um it is the fact that it is very difficult for their bodies to wake up. It is the uh, the initiating, getting out of the bed. It can be extremely difficult. Their mind knows exactly what it wants to do or even what it is expected to do or it, it or having even heard the instruction. It understands it fully, but actually getting control over the body to then do that is a whole different scenario. In the case of an ADHD person, they might absolutely know that, but within a nanosecond, five other things have entered their brain and they've gone off piste. And by this time, you've walked into the other room to get the other children ready and you come back to find uh, nothing has happened. <laughs> There's the getting dressed and the massive sensory onslaught that that brings. You know, you're stepping out of kind of body temperature, soft pajamas and into, let's face it, in the UK, a pretty cold, stiff uniform or another set of clothes, there's all the coordination, there's the synchronizing, there's the organizing, there's the staying on task, there's the keeping your mind focused, there's the moving of your body to get those dressing elements done. Huge amount of work involved there. There is the face wash and the brushing teeth. I mean, if you broke down the task of brushing your teeth into individual steps that each of your body parts needs to do, you will be gobsmacked. The list is like 50 lines long. And that's not even counting the kind of remembering to turn the tap off and not overflowing the cup with water to rinse and turning around to reach for the towel to wipe your mouth at the end. It's, it is a lot going on. There is the transition from upstairs to downstairs to breakfast. There is all the sensory issues and the social norms and expectations of holding your body in a chair and using utensils and eating your breakfast and what that breakfast has to be for one child versus the other child. There are the transitions from the home to the car, from the car to the school. There is the returning from school. There is having spent an entire day in almost fight or flight mode. They have been 
in that mode and very fearful of overwhelm the entire day. Nobody wants to experience it and nobody wants it witnessed either. The parent has kind of come off hypervigilance mode and has now had to go straight back into complete hypervigilance mode. These children are either exploding or, as I've described, just crashing and burning out as they get home. Deeply concerning. Then there is the homework. Why would you bring schoolwork into the home? School is for school. Home, typically their absolute safe space. I, I don't even want to think about how parents get through that Uh I know my 20-year-old, actually, in hindsight, I don't think he ever did any. <laughs> Henry, luckily, doesn't need to do homework. Oh, you know, there is the how they how they are receiving information, what sort of sensory stimuli is impacting how that information is being received and also interpreted. Many of these children have very literal minds. Um, with neurotypical parents who are not always thinking about what they're saying because they just don't have the time. There's no spontaneity, that hypervigilance that the parents kind of have that I've often, you know, heard my own parents say to me, like, just relax or you're so stressed out. It doesn't need to be that way. Just switch off for a bit that we feel we absolutely cannot do because we are aware of the state that our children are in. We don't want things to go wrong for them. Uh, so we are constantly fearful of the fact that they just can, that there cannot be that kind of spontaneity or sudden change in plan because the weather's changed, um, that that routine needs to be upheld for their needs to be met and for them to be able to maintain their regulation. Then you roll into, are you tired yet? <laughs> then there's the supper time, another meal. And all of that, that might involve in cooking separate meals for separate children. There is bath time, again, another hugely sensory experience. For most, it can be a really good and valuable one, but for others, it absolutely is not. Things like washing hair and soap in the eyes and temperature and etc. Bedtime, roll-on bedtime. That is often typically a lot later because we really need these kids to be absolutely exhausted and to have their minds ready to switch off. Most of them never are. Sleep onset is a massive, massive issue for so many of us. These children are typically getting into bed and whatever melatonin does exist, naturally, it's not enough. You know, nighttime hits for the rest of us. Our melatonin kicks in. We close our eyes. We mentally know the things we say to ourselves, to our bodies that just happen. They're, they're kind of automated. We relax. Our breathing changes. We know we have to sleep. We can keep our eyes closed and our body just follows suit. This does not this does not happen smoothly for our children and it is involuntary impulsive motor when those bodies are popping out of that bed constantly they do not have control over it it takes years it takes incremental little steps over long long periods of time but if there's any reassurance I can give you is that they do grow and they do develop and they will stay in their rooms eventually, although not necessarily in that bed. And I am hoping, because that's kind of where we're at now, that eventually that bed will be remained in most of the evening <laughs> and that they will hopefully get, you know, six or so at least decent hours of sleep. 
in a very, very surface level, quick run through of 24 hours uh, day to day. And of course, you get through those 24 hours and there's not kind of an eight hour break before the next 24 hours start. It rolls right into the next first hour of the next 24 hours all over again. So I will be ending in my usual tone, as you know, whilst I have not probably solved anybody's problems here. I hope that for those of you who live my world, um, it is something that you can totally resonate with, that you feel validated by. For others, I hope you have learned something. I hope that you have realized that we would love you to be able to help, but sometimes it's just not possible. Uh, that we really appreciate your friendship in whatever form it comes, that the best thing you could ever do for us is just listen. We're not expecting you to be able to solve our problems, to empathize properly, to, to try your hardest not to judge. And for all of you out there to just know that, yep, you are not alone <laughs> and your child is going to be okay. Quickly, quickly, before I say proper goodbye, is an event I want to tell you about. It is tomorrow, Saturday, the 24th of February. It is online. The UK timing is 5 p.m. It is free to register. It is called Spell X, S-P-E-L-L, capital X. It is the most incredible event. It is like a TED Talks for non-speaking autistic individuals. Yep, you heard me. These individuals have learned to spell, to communicate in whatever form that is, and they are sharing their lives with us. It is joyous. It is emotional. Get your tissues out. It is just a wonderful, wonderful event to experience. Please go online and check it out. It will be airing in all sorts of time zones as well. So it will give you the specific time zone for where you are when you look it up. Okay, everybody, that's it. Have a good couple of weeks. Take care. Bye.